0: you are. It may appear that we're a little late getting started here, but we're not, and I want to welcome all of you by way of Facebook and also through our live stream. Welcome. How many of you, uh, let me ask this question, and I want you to give a sense rising up in your How many of you are glad that you are a Christian? Amen? You got hands up? Yep. Yeah. You're happy for that. You're excited about the fact of heaven. You are excited about the fact your sins are forgiven. You've been washed by the blood of the lamb. You are a new creature in Christ. How many of you, and you can do this by giving an applaud of thanksgiving to God, how many are glad that Jesus has saved you and made you ready for his kingdom and his heaven? Are you ready to amen? Because, <laughs> hallelujah. Yes. Yes. Amen, I hope that joy floods your heart. I hope that joy is a part of you. Let me give you a, a statement or a statement from the Word of God that will tell you who you are. First Peter chapter two and verse nine. you could go there if you like uh, don't need to, but you can go there i 'll read it. First Peter chapter two and verse nine. It says this, I have it right here, First Peter chapter two and verse nine. He said, but you are a chosen people. You're chosen by God. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, God's own, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, it, it's important that we grab hold, uh, as we've been talking about, we grab hold of that eternal life that we have in Christ. That we don't just put it up on a shelf and said, yes, I have that. I have the badge. I have the... Um, the trophy, I have the marker, whatever you might want to call it, but it sits over there on the shelf, and it doesn't have anything to do with my life. I just sort of made the team, I'm part of the family, and that's enough. Well, that isn't enough, and you know that. Uh, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6:13, he said, after you have run away from all that, flee all this, and you're pursuing this, you're fighting the good, of fi- good fight of faith, now, then God says, to, or through Paul, to Timothy, the charge is given. Take hold of eternal life to which you've been called. You've made the decision to follow Christ. Now live in that. To practically appropriate all the benefits, privileges, and responsibilities in the possession of it. And we get a grip on it. We hold on to the eternal life to which we've been called. And that's why I wanted to ask you, are you really thrilled about that? Excited about that? It should be a part of our life. I've found that what people get excited about are what people talk about. No matter what it is, whether it's their sport team, whether it's their grandchild, and I can talk a lot lot about my grandkids because I'm excited about them. Whatever you're excited about, you're going to talk about. But how about eternal life? How about the eternal value, the eternal life, the value that God has placed within you, his life in you? Because we have a home in heaven with him. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Many of you know this one by heart. If you don't, you should get it memorized. Where Jesus looked around at his disciples, and they were all concerned because this is just before he went to the cross, and they weren't sure what was going to happen. But he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, don't be full of anxiety. You believe in me. You believe in God, rather. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know, I, I, again, believers, I look around at our world and I say our world is crazy. Our world is it's in a mess. But I do believe what God says in his word. I believe that these things are happening just as God has said in his prophetic words in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Daniel, all through scripture. That these things will come about. They are coming about. But in the midst of that comes this word that Jesus said, if I'm going away to get you a place, I'm going to come back and get you so that you can be where I am. That we can be in God's presence, that eternal life. But we've got to live in that even now, today. And that's what uh, we've been talking about the last several weeks that eternal life and what that means to live in His presence. Again, let me quote uh, Rabbi uh, Jonathan Kahn, who I quoted last week, about being in a, a homeland called heaven, allowing heaven to be in us, making our home. And he talked about the matter of being an immigrant coming from uh, to America, coming to this home and they came and we, you could hear a lot more uh, in past generations I think but it's happening now. Little Italy, China, Little Havana, in Akron area there's a lot of Nepalese people from Nepal who have come in listen to their language. You hear that language of the music where and, and, the, and the the smell, the aroma, the clothing of where they came from and that's indicative of that Philippians 3 20 says that we are citizens of heaven we've got a new home we don't belong here we belong to our home in heaven our hearts in our homeland that's where we are and as immigrants formed little enclaves so we are to be the church the little bit of heaven on earth right here where we are gathered our homes I don't know if you ever thought about that. Have you ever gone through your house and declared it, "This is a place where God's going to dwell. This is a place where we want Him to be evident in everything we say and do in this house." I don't know that if you've done this, but if you need to take, a, you need to take some spiritual authority and claim territory for God. Judy and I early on in our property when we bought our lot where we build our house. Walked it, walked right up the pro- property lines all the way around, and said, "This belongs to Jesus. This is God's property. It's not ours. It's His." So we boundary out anything of Satan, any of his tricks, any of deeds, anything that took place on this land. It is now removed. But in the name of Jesus, this belongs to God. And we built our house. Same thing happened. When this property was purchased, same thing happened. When this came here, we walked around and said, "This belongs to God." I pray that you would enter into the authority you have and say this place is heaven on earth. Now, I don't know about you, but our our home hasn't always been heaven on earth. You know, we've had a few struggles along the way, of course, everybody does. But that's not its intention. We're going to go back to what we said it would be, and this is a place where God's going to dwell. In our homes. In our marriage in our children, in all that takes place around us, our walk with God, our congregation, this congregation, a place for God, all to be a place for him. And Jonathan Cans writes, people ought to hear us speak the language of heaven. Now, that's an interesting question. What does the language of heaven sound like? We talked a little bit about it. I'll touch a little bit more in a moment. But also smell the fragrance of heaven. To see the ways of heaven and hear the worship of heaven. So while we're on earth, we're called to manifest to this planet, to our world, the ways of God. To make our life a place for his dwelling. So that all who come near us, all who come in our home, they will know that there, that there is a place that's even better than this place on earth. A heavenly place, our homeland. Over the years, uh, we have a friend who uh, has come here and spoken over the years, and he's made this comment to me over the years because I don't pay attention to it because it's part of who we are. And he comes in and he said, Jim, I have to tell you, I get in a lot of churches throughout the year, a lot of places I travel, but when I come here, it feels like home to me. It feels like there's peace in the house. It feels like the presence of God is here. And all I can do is say, thank you, Jesus. That there's something of God's presence, and it's because it's not the building, it's because it's you. It's God in us. It's a shalom of God. It's where a home should be. It's where we count it to be. Well, last week I talked about two, two aspects of this. I talked about the language and about the fragrance of heaven. I want to touch back with language because I didn't touch all of it. I can't touch all of it, but... The language of heaven, I want to inform you that the heaven does not use the King James version of the Bible. No one's up there saying thee and thou and art and should, shouldest thou, okay? Just to get that out of the way, that, uh, that that's not the language. There are words of heaven, heavenly words. God spoke them out of the heavens. You can read them. But it's the language that comes out of us that reflects what's going on in heaven. What's going on in us for his kingdom. Let me give you that quote I gave last week. The words that you speak each day are your imprint on the world. They dictate how people perceive you and largely define you. The language of heaven. It has to do with words, content, and tone. And so I divided those into three parts of it, your words, the actual specific words that are used. I was meditating upon that and thinking about how my words and your words should be different in a world that we live in. What should they, what word, what words are we using that are not of heaven but are of the earth, of hell, of that kind of thing, and now there are collections of words that are used, but just the specific words. I have been amazed in talking with different people how our children have really learned to use profanity and 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 curse words in their language as children. It's it's so much there. Talking to someone in a preschool. Little children are using the F-bomb constantly. Anybody have their mouth washed out? Who? Anybody admit that you had your mouth washed out with soap? Look at those hands. All over the place. (laughs) You you people on TV or Facebook, I'm telling you, we are bad. (laughs) We've all been punished by this. All right. I was interested in where that came from. Where does the whole phrase "you want to wash your mouth out with soap"? Well, I discovered that it was most washing out the mouth with soap is most often used as a response to profanity, lying, biting, tobacco use, or verbal disrespect. It functions both as a symbolic cleansing following the infraction and as a detergent deterrent. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was, I didn't, it looked like detergent. It, de- deterrent due to the foul aftertaste. Now, it was used commonly in child discipline or school discipline. Let me go back to 1832. One of the earliest recorded use of forcing another to ingest soap as punishment was in the 1832 legal examiner in which it was noted that a married couple was constantly quarreling and that one evening on the man's return home He found his wife intoxicated, perceiving a piece of kitchen soap lying on the ground near the spot. He crammed it into his wife's mouth, saying she has had plenty of water to wash with. She ought now to have a little soap. (laughs) um, 1832, that's a long time ago. 1872, the Chinese recorder and missionary journal stated that the practice of washing out the mouth of a child heard to swear was noted by an American colleague and should be recommended to the colleagues in the Orient as well. In 1873, a schoolmistress in Mahashka, Iowa, was was noted to have punished a boy in her class for indulging in chewing tobacco by washing his mouth out with soap. Much later, they say, that it was used in other places. 1898, a study in moral education published by the Journal of Genetic Psychology noted that whipping, withdrawal of privileges, lectures, being sent home to a room, sending, sent alone to a room, and washing out a subject's mouth with either soap, salt, or pepper were the most likely punishments to deter future abuses. Two years later, a New York State Department of Social Welfare officer submitted a complaint against the Rochester orphan asylum, noting that I find his charged that children's mouths have been washed with soap suds, but not, as also charged, with ashes and water, that such punishment were ordered for obscene and profound language. By the start of the 20th century, the practice was all noticed at a Maryland State Reformatory for Women as punishment for any infraction of the wo- rules. In the 1950s, I'm getting closer to now, several American school boards ruled in favor of washing out a pupil's mouth with soap as a legitimate punishment. In 1953, Wisconsin Judge Harvey L. Nealon fined a Miss Mertz $25 for her drunken obscenities and noted that she should be required to wash her mouth with soap. Okay. I'm about to... Propose, no, no. In 1963, Michigan Judge Francis Castellucci ordered Louis Winarski, who had been found using obscene language around women and children, to wash his mouth with soap before leaving the courtroom. A similar case in October 1979 saw a New York resident choose to wash his mouth out with soap rather than serve 10 days in prison for his disorderly conduct and obscenities. Well, how far we have come. Of course, soap is not made with soap anymore. It's filled with all kinds of stuff, so we're not sure what it is. I read this, and I say, how far have we come in the acceptance of a language that is obscene, a language that is de- de- uh, denigrates people, words that are... are what we would call their dirty words. In the 80s, 1980s, I attended several Jack Hayford conferences, and Jack Hayford put out a very attractive, frameable uh, piece of paper called "The Power of Profanity," and he said the profanity and the power of it does several things. Let me read it for you. It diminishes the creative power of mind and tongue. In other words, you substitute words without really thinking about anything of what you're saying. It substitutes brassy speech for genuine boldness. Listen to the power of profanity. It sacrifices character on the altar of acceptance. It produces abnormal responses and stifles healthy interaction. Profanity begets an atmosphere of hostility or adversity. Profanity depends on shock or crudity to establish authority or create humor. It cheapens or de- desecrates life's most precious relationship. Let me give you another one. It acclimatizes, it, it acclimates, I'm sorry, acclimates the mind to the world's spirit. It instills a reticent, A reticence to speak righteously. It erodes sensitivity towards ultimate, eternal issues. What am I saying? I think it should be clear that the words that we put into our vocabulary on a daily basis ought not to sound like the world around us, but should sound like the, the language of heaven. Blessing building up good words not profane and I grew up in in the in the construction industry I've been around men I haven't been around the women in the shop and I hear that they have tongues that are almost worse than men have not been there I've only heard about that but the startling thing to me as if those who name the name of Jesus speak sometimes worse than the ungodly person who makes no claim for righteousness and just let it rip. And I've heard Christians do the same. Just let it rip. Well, I just got mad and I couldn't help it. You can help yourself. Your mouth, James chapter 3. Go there quick. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. If we're going to get down with this, get it where I live, how is it going to influence my getting a grip on eternal life? How is that going to be displayed to the world around me? And, and I find it just, all it takes, and I've seen it so often in my own life, I mean, I've, I've observed it, I try to guard my mouth and all that, but I've observed it, that suddenly you get it with a different group And the language can change. And pretty soon, it's not uncommon to begin to use profanity and obscenities for humor and jokes. And I've seen the temptation, men and women alike, that suddenly the topic of conversation, the words, are no longer clean words. They're words that bring about bad stuff. But it's becoming so common. I mean, if we could go back and go back 40 years, fifties, 50 years, 60 years, those kind of, were the kind of things that were classified as words that needed to have your mouth washed out with soap. And that didn't talk about the heart. Jesus talks about the heart. God talks about the heart. But it's even our culture, and our culture now is accepting of all that kind of stuff. You know, uh, and again, I'm sorry to say, we get so acclimatized that we don't even hear it after a while. But what about you? What about me? What about gripping eternal life? James chapter 3. That's what the Holy Spirit says. This is God writes the book through James. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The words, the words that we speak, the words that come out of our mouth. Let me give you another phrase that we've talked about. We talked about uh, the tone, the tone, what's coming out of us. I practiced this yesterday. I'm not going to uh, bore you with it or hurt you with this. In that piano over there, the, it's an electronic piano, and it has some music with it. And I could just sim- simply hit a couple of uh, keys, and it would play by itself, sort of like a player piano. And what I was going to, should I do it? why not come on they're gonna you can delete these two minutes off your off the tape okay are you following me all girls in the back all right so what we could do is we could just play this wrong one i don't like this one that's the one i like so here it is i don't know the name of the song but it's pretty let me make this your life. You're just a nice tone. tone. You're singing along. And then suddenly, out of you comes... Now, what was that that just came out? Something that was not a part of the song. Something that came out that didn't belong there right? If I have the song in the tone of heaven in me and that noise comes out, what does that reflect? A nice little tune. But in that comes profanity. In that comes anger. In that comes an expression that the world looks on and says, what is that? What's going on in you? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Heaven, I want my language. I want our language to be heaven language. Eternal life language. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for all members of one body. In your anger don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Go down to verse 29. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let the words that we have, eternal words coming out of it that are going to bless other people. Our words, our language, that's the first thing we've talked about. The language of heaven. Let me just say, I I will not put any rules down on what that looks like, but you'll know if you belong to Jesus when your mouth gets out of control. You know it. You might plow through the sense that the Holy Spirit says, don't do it. And after we said, maybe I shouldn't have done it, I'm sorry I did it. But why don't we learn to say, I want to get a grip on eternal life so that out of me flows life-giving, blessing words. The second thing we talked about was fragrance. Second Corinthians chapter two, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The aroma of God, the daily bread that some of you follow and read, we give it away here. Yesterday, I just picked this up. Yesterday, I said the sweet aroma of Christ. He said, "I knew a, a rancher who lived near Lometa, uh, Texas. His two grandsons were my best friends." We would go into town with him and follow him around while he shopped and chatted with the folks he knew. He knew them all by name and knew their stories. He'd stop here and there and ask about a sick child or a difficult marriage, and he'd offer a word of encouragement or two. He would share scripture and pray if it seemed the right thing to do. I'll never forget that man. He was something special. He didn't force his faith on anyone, but he always seemed to leave it behind. Can I say that again. He didn't force faith on people, but he always seemed to leave it behind. The elderly rancher had with, about him what Paul called a sweet aroma of Christ. God used him to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Christ. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but his fragrance lingers on in Lometa, Texas. The fragrance... I remember reading this a while. If you don't think that your words, your uh, influence doesn't last and one person can't do a whole lot, let somebody smoke a cigar and walk through your house. And tell me if you, one person can't make a difference. It can make a difference. As we, before I, we leave here this one, I want to talk about maybe two things real quick. Number three, this would be the ways of heaven. The ways of heaven. The language I've addressed, fragrance, we know what that looks like or smells like as we're with people. But what do the ways of heaven look like? Ephesians chapter two, you should be in Ephesians right now, just turn over a page. Chapter two, verse one. As for you, you're dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, he's contrasting ways, the ways of heaven, the ways of this world, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you go back to the book of James, I want to describe again the ways of the world, the ways of heaven. What heaven's about? James chapter 3. The book of James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We finished with reading about what comes out of our mouth. But let me go to verse 13 of James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Let him show it. I read this quote concerning a, a, an Amishman that was asked by a tourist, Are you a Christian? His reply says, You'll have to ask my neighbor. Think about that. Are you a Christian? Well, ask my spouse. Are you a Christian? Ask my neighbor. Are you a Christian? Ask my co-worker. What evidence? How are we living? Here it says, let them show it by their good life, by words done in humility that comes from wisdom. Now let me show you the contrast now. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, the eternal life given by God comes from heaven. His ways is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." You see, there is a contrast in what heaven and earth look like. Matthew 6, 9, in the Lord's Prayer, we know we could probably quote it together, but we come to a phrase that says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our job, in a sense, is to bring heaven down to earth. And that's why when Paul's writing to Timothy, he said, Get a grip an eternal life. Grab hold of it. Live in it. Make this part of your life. Living the ways of the eternal kingdom rather than the kingdom of the world. Ephesians 2 said you've been transferred out of that kingdom. You no longer belong to that kingdom. So we bring the ways of the eternal into the world. Now Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near you. What is the kingdom of God? What does that look like? What does heaven's ways look like? First of all, it's a matter of the king. kingdom of God is a realm where God reigns supreme. And Jesus Christ is king. I like this quote. What is the kingdom of God? God's people in God's place under God's rule. How do I live in the kingdom of God? God's people in God's place under God's rule. The kingdom of God is the sovereignty of God and his rule over all creation. We should seek first his kingdom so we can be a part of everything that God's doing on the earth and depend on him for everything rather than on ourselves and others. Very quickly, I would like for you to go to Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus came preaching the kingdom, people were a little ignorant about what all that meant. What does that look like? What is it? What does it look like? And so he began to teach them in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it was called the Sermon on the Mount. We know that. And in this Sermon on the Mount, it's divided up into topics. Somebody's divided his sermon up into subpoints all the way down through these three chapters, 5, 6, and 7. And it begins with the words out of verse 3. And your Bible says, like mine does, the Beatitudes the Beatitudes, and many have declared that to be the blessings, the blessedness, Beatitude is a Latin word, means blessedness, exalted happiness. And these are statements, and it's been a while, if you haven't read it for a while, statements of the characteristics and the blessing, the Christian ideals of his kingdom, what they look like. Now, I'm making an assumption, which I shouldn't, is that many of you would know this if I would read it right here from our Bibles. Let me just start it and see, because I don't want to stay with this, so I want to read it in a paraphrase. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for those, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what are we talking about? That's a character that's going to come to us, eternal life, character of the kingdom is coming, poor in spirit. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. Now, I could preach this. I should preach it sometime and do a good study on it. But let me give you the paraphrase from the message and see if you can't grab hold of what the ways of the kingdom of God should be looked like in your life. Because when you walk in this way, you have his blessing. Let me read this. You'll be blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in his rule. Go down and look at verse 4. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Five. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. Six, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. His food and drink is the best meal you'll ever eat. You'll be blessed when you care. Mercy, you'll be blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you'll find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you set your inside world, your mind and heart, and put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me, God says. What it means is the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. Even though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. I like that. I like how he's worded it because it's the character of kingdom people. It's the character of those that have gotten a grip on eternal life. Verse 13 down to 16 is our command, our challenge, if we're going to live in eternal things. The Word of God in us. You can follow along or just listen. This is from the message. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it you're here to be a light. Bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bears, you don't think I'm going to hide it under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that i puts put you there on a the hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By, by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God this generous Father in heaven. Eugene Peterson writes that and paraphrases it in a way that I can't do it. But it's the characteristics of the kingdom, Christ's ideals, what he would like us to exhibit the ways of heaven. Now finally, just, and I'll only give about two minutes to this because I want to conclude with worship for us just for a moment. What does the worship of heaven sound like? Not the ways, that can be seen, but what about the song of heaven? A little girl, soon to undergo minor surgery, was told by the understanding doctor, This is going to hurt, but you can cry as much as you please. The young patient looked up at him bravely and replied, I'd rather sing. Do you remember Paul and Silas in prison? Backs beaten, in the stocks, midnight, dark, alone. What do they decide to do? We're going to sing. We're going to worship God. The early church in Acts chapter 4, they worshiped God. You see, worship. I'll probably spend more time with this because it's important. uh, Psalm 115 verse 8, Psalm 135 verse 18 says, Those that make them will be like them speaking of idols. The principle is here. What you worship, you will become like. Our worship is important to God. Our heart is to God. We worship Him. The worship of heaven, what what comes from us? I, I so am so strongly convinced that worship is part of our life that needs to be more. Before I conclude in prayer, I'm going to ask the worship team to come And you don't need to turn this off, Grace. So uh, worship team, if you would come. And I want us to be led in a song of worship to God as we finish this time. I want this to be on if possible. Because I want all of us to join and ask you to stand with me. As we worship God at the conclusion of this service, would you stand with me? Maybe the words can't get up there right away if I'm still on, right, Grace? So wait a second and do that because I want people at home to do it too with us. Father, we have heard your word. We understand that you have ways for us to walk in. But right now, we want to lift up our voice in a world that we would rather cry about. We want to lift up our voice in worship and sing. Sing. O Lord, art high above all. Just worship the King. Lift your voice to Him. Thou art exalted far above, O God. For Thou, O Lord, art high. Above all the earth, thou art exalted, far above, O God, and I exalt thee, I exalt. Worship him, church. I exalt oh. us sing this one more time, but Father, I pray right now that all over this room, our hearts are raised to you. We can talk all about what we ought to do and how we can live, but Lord, it really is about you in us, and we worship you as our God who lives in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We believe that. Father, I pray that our worship, when I be that which will be pleasing in your sight as we lift up your name to heaven, your name into join the, the songs of heaven. We exalt you, Lord. We exalt you, our God. May you be pleased. As we pour out our love upon you. We exalt your name this one.